You are now listening to the First Baptist Church of America's podcast. If you have any questions about our church, please check us out online at fbcamericas.org. This week we continue our journey through John's gospel with Brother Keith's message, When Pain Glorifies God, from John 11, 1 through 16. Let's listen in. Do you have 10,000 reasons that you can praise God to say, Bless the Lord, O my soul. In spite of all of your circumstances, do you have 10,000 reasons to do that? You do, if you would just stop and think. You have more than that. I have the opportunity to help at the Harvest of Hope food pantry once a month, and there's a a particular lady that uh, comes in to receive food, and, and I say, how are you doing today? And she says, I'm blessed by the best. I'm blessed by the best. What a positive attitude that we all should have every day of our life. We're going to talk about that a little bit of our perspective on, on life as we know it. We're in chapter 11 of John's Gospel, and, and we'll see a transition away from John's, uh, Jesus' public ministry here. Uh, By the end of the chapter, I think it's verse 54, Jesus will no longer be moving about openly and in public among the Jews. And then in chapter 12, Jesus makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem for Passover and then his crucifixion. So the rest of John uh, from 12 on deal with that Passion Week and his crucifixion and resurrection. So John gives us seven I am statements that Jesus made revealing his identity as God in the flesh. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And in this chapter, we come to the fifth statement, which is in verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. And you hear this verse Uh, used a lot at funerals um, because it's talking about the resurrection and the life. And that's what Jesus said. That was his claim. And just as he often backed up his claims with a miracle, that's what he does here. How else can you back up the claim to be the resurrection and the life unless you do it with a resurrection? Chapter 11 is about the miracle of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. His most dramatic miracle, except for his own resurrection, of course. But we'll talk more about the miracle next week. Today, we'll kind of lay the foundation for it. And I've said before that um, when an artist wants to highlight an object on a canvas, he paints that object on a dark background. Okay, so if you want to highlight a flower, you paint a dark background around it. Jesus is claiming authority over life, and he highlights his authority by showing it against the darkest background we know, death. So today I want to point out that God's promise of life is greater than any problems we'll ever face greater than any problem we'll ever face, even death. So 
let's talk about those times in our life when our pain should glorify God. When our pain glorifies God. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. This man named Lazarus lived in Bethany. And Bethany was the village of Martha and her sister Mary. Now it's interesting that John qualifies which Mary this is because Mary was a very popular name at that time. There were many Marys in the scripture. And he qualifies this one by describing an event that had not taken place yet. Uh, Mary anoints the feet of Jesus in chapter 12. But John is looking back writing this much later and he's looking back on his experiences with Jesus and the anointing of Jesus by Mary was so familiar that John assumed his readers would know of the event. So chapter 10 ends with Jesus leaving Jerusalem under pressure from the Jews and going beyond the Jordan River and that's about a day's journey away. Lazarus was Martha and Mary's brother, and they were very close friends of Jesus. And when Lazarus became ill, Martha and Mary sent word to Jesus about his sickness. They knew his power. They knew what he was able to do. So they sent word to Jesus. Interesting that they didn't ask Jesus to come. They didn't say, Jesus, would you come? they probably assumed that he would come because of their close friendship. It's kind of like when you might have somebody in authority that you just assume that they're going to meet your needs, so you're going to let them know of the need and assume that they will meet that need. But when Jesus heard the news, he didn't come. He stayed where he was for two more days. And then when the time was right, he finally said to the disciples in verse 7, let's go back to Judea. Now, you can almost hear the hesitation in the disciples' reply. They said, but Rabbi, don't you remember that the Jews there tried to kill you just a little while ago when we were there? And you want to go back? They were questioning Jesus. Do you ever do that? When things happen in your life, do you question Jesus when he leads you to do something? They were questioning him. But Jesus then gives the disciples a little sermonette in verses 9 and 10. And he says, A man who walks by day will not stumble, but the one who walks by night stumbles, for he has no light. Now think about it. At that time, there were no lights on the road. Because if, I mean, if you were walking at night, you are walking in danger, not only because of the dangerous terrain, but because of robbers and people that might have been there. And so he, he's saying if you walk at, at uh, night, you will stumble, or he has no light. Now Jesus uses this metaphor to say that it's not safe to walk at night, but it's safe to walk in the light of the day. And it's even safer, though, to walk with the light of the world. Jesus has claimed to be the light of the world. So if it's safe to walk in the daylight, how much more safe is it to walk with Jesus Christ?
Because to walk without Christ is to walk in darkness. But to walk with Jesus is to walk in the light. And there's no safer place to be than to be with Jesus. Even if that means to go back to Judea. Even if it means to go into a dangerous place. To be with Jesus is the safest place anyone could ever be. Then he uses another metaphor. And he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. And that's an image that the Bible gives us of death. Of just simply sleeping. Isn't that amazing? The thing that we fear most, the Bible speaks of death as sleep. Well, the disciples didn't get it. They say, great, Lazarus is resting, so he's on the men's. He's going to be getting better because he's able to rest. But then in verse 14, I can imagine Jesus leaning into the disciples and looking them square in the face and saying, Lazarus is dead. Then he goes on and says, for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there. Why? So that you may believe. Jesus was going to do something that would grow their faith. He would raise Lazarus from the dead. So what truths in this passage do we need to point out? I want to point out two. The first one is the problem of man. And then the second one is the promise of God. The problem of man and the promise of God. First of all, the promise of man. Of course, I mean mankind, all of mankind. But our problem is that uh, there is suffering that eventually ends in death. Suffering that ends in death. I said last week that no matter what you believe about Jesus... No one can deny the reality of death. It touches everyone. Every single person death touches. In this world, sickness and death are the norm. It's not how God intended it at the beginning, but it became the norm when sin entered the world through Adam and Eve. So suffering and pain are a part of life. And there's not much that we can do to avoid it. And that's a problem because we all experience it. We can eat right. We can exercise. We can make good choices. But sooner or later, we're going to have pain. We're going to suffer. And we're going to be sick. And eventually, we're going to die. And doesn't that just bless your heart this morning? To be reminded of that. But it's true, and you know it's true. We were working yesterday, and there was a time that my back caught, and I couldn't even stand up. And the older we get, the more of those little catches we have. And we suffer. We have pain. And that's just a part of life. And we're all touched by that. Just think about how many people ask you how you're doing. But then start noticing how many people steal your story. You might get a sentence out and then they have taken over and they're telling you all about their problem and their suffering. You start noticing that. How are you doing? Well, I'm about to die. And then they tell you about how much they're going to die. Notice it. 
It's really quite amazing how people hijack your story. I've done it and you've done it because it's such a part of life. You can try to live right and do good, but trouble will find you sooner or later. So we're forced to deal with the problem of suffering and pain in our lives, and that is whether or not you follow Jesus. doesn't matter because it touches all of us. But see, that, that even leads to a deeper problem for Christians, and it's in these verses. And that's the reality that Jesus allows those who love him to suffer. Jesus allows those who love him to suffer. Jesus lets us, even if we love him with all of our hearts, even if we follow him the best we know how, even if we know him more than we know anybody else, he allows us to suffer. And we have a real problem with that. But if Jesus suffered, why do we think we won't suffer? We're quick to look at people who aren't living right, and we say, you're going to get what you deserve. But if that's how God worked, then who could stand? None of us. I certainly couldn't. So how do you explain the fact that those who love Jesus and those he loves experience pain and suffering? Look at verse 3. Lord, the one you love is sick. The one you love is sick. We can't reconcile those two things in the same sentence, can we? The one you love is sick. We still want to think that good people will have good lives. And people that aren't living right will have painful lives. But the truth is that our lives are much more complex than that. That's way too simple. Our lives are more complex and the sorrow and pain of our life is so interwoven with the lives of other people that only God can figure it all out. So why not trust Him with all of our circumstances, the good ones and the bad ones? Because we're all interwoven in how He is working in my life and in your life and how my life affects yours and yours affects mine. Only God can figure all of that out. So why not let him? Notice the love between Jesus and this family. In verse 2, Mary's love is implied when she anointed Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. In verse 3, the word went to Jesus that the one you love is sick. And then in verse 5, John says that Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, there's no doubt that Jesus loved this family and this family loved Jesus. But then look at what it says in verse 6. Jesus loved them yet. Some translations have so, some have therefore. Yet when he heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Jesus loved them Therefore, he stayed and let Lazarus die, is really what that says. And that doesn't make sense to us. It doesn't make sense that Jesus intentionally stayed for two more days instead of going to help the ones he loved. And it wasn't just Lazarus that he let be in pain, but Mary and 
Martha, could you imagine? They watched their brother die and had to deal with the grief of that. And it certainly doesn't make sense when we're the ones hurting. When we're the ones calling him. But Jesus loves us and always has a better plan for us. The question is, will you trust him? Will you trust him? Accepting the truth that God allows pain in the lives of those who love him will grow your faith like nothing else will. Just accepting that. So how you deal with pain in our lives will make us better people or it will make us bitter people. You've heard that before. How you deal with that suffering and pain will make you better or it will make you bitter. Because pain exposes our vulnerability exposes what's in there, that we're vulnerable people. But it also reveals God's love that was there all along. It's always been there. I mentioned that uh, I was at a pastor's conference in Jacksonville, and one of the pastors that spoke was a pastor by the name of Dan Hall. Dan lives in Madison, Mississippi. And he was going to a conference in Texas and Dan has been in uh, different churches and his calling his passion is to go in a church that is dying and help that church get back on its feet and he's had great success doing that so he's in a constant demand to go and to help churches so he was at a conference in uh, Texas in the Houston area And he got into his hotel around 2 o'clock in the morning. While he was there getting settled, he had a pulmonary embolism. And he passed out. And he fell against the wall. And his fall ruptured his spine at C3 and C4. And he was immediately paralyzed from the neck down. And when he came to, he realized that he was face down in carpet. And the weight of his body was on his lungs in such a way his nose was broken. And he couldn't breathe. He felt like he was underwater. He was suffocating, but he couldn't move any part of his body. And he was laying there in that position for seven hours. And because his face was down in the carpet, And his struggle to breathe and get in air, he was inhaling carpet fibers into his lungs. And so the people that were hosting him knew that it was very uncharacteristic for him to miss an appointment. So they sent and had the hotel staff to go and check on him. And there they found him lying there. They rushed him to the hospital and test after test after test and treatment after treatment to clear his lungs from those fibers. After two weeks, his wife tried to get some information about where they stood. And he said, or the doctor said, your husband is still the sickest patient on our ward. And they didn't think he would live. But not only did he survive the pulmonary embolism, but now as a quadriplegic, he travels to tell his story 
but he travels to tell that God allows things to happen in our lives that we, we don't understand. And he said this, he said, how you respond to suffering is far more important than understanding the suffering. See, we want to understand the why. But he said, how you respond to what happens in your life is much more important than understanding why it happened. And he said, people will still come to him now and ask, why did that happen to you? Almost like Job's friends who wanted to know, what did you do to deserve this? But they want to know, why did this happen to you? And he says, it happened because I had a pulmonary embolism and fell against the wall and broke my neck. That's why it happened. But he can't explain why he is a quadriplegic now. And he doesn't try to. But he trusts in the Lord. So the fact is that we all have a problem in life. That we have suffering that will end in death, eventually physical death. But there's something even greater than our problem. And that is the promise of God. Look in verse 4. Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. God allows pain in our lives because he wants to use that pain to accomplish a purpose that is far greater than our life of comfort. See, that's what we want. We want a comfortable life. But he has a far greater plan for us. And sometimes the only way that we can realize our vulnerability is through sickness. His purpose for the pain is stated at the end of verse 4. What is the purpose of our pain? Here it is. It is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. The pain in our lives is allowed so that God and Jesus can be glorified. So it really is all about Him and not about us. It's all about Him and not us. And if we can accept that truth, we can handle anything that comes into our lives because it's all about His glory. So when pain comes into your life, when suffering touches you, what do you do? You do the same thing that Martha and Mary did. They prayed first, and then they waited in faith. Pray first, wait in faith. Don't wait until the last resort to prayer. Do that immediately. The first thing, call out to Jesus first. Do you realize how insulting it is to Him to go through trouble? And you try everything you can and then you come to Him and say, Lord, I've tried everything else, now I'm coming to you. That's insulting. Go to Him first. Cry out to Him immediately. Then wait in faith, expecting. Now, Jesus didn't answer as they expected, but what He did was better. And I think it's the same in our lives too. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, then your worst pain, your worst trouble, your worst sickness will not end in death, ultimately. It won't. Remember Psalm 34, 19. Psalm 34, 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them from them all. 
Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them from them all. He might not deliver how and when you think is best, but he will ultimately deliver. You realize this world is temporary. Then why do we live as it's the only world to look forward to? When I was growing up in Cairo, we had a public pool. And that was back in the day that not a lot of people had pools, but there was a public pool that you went to. But to get into the pool, you had to go through, you pay your 50 cents, whatever it was, and, and you walk through a wading pool that was in the door that led to the public pool. There was no way you could get there without walking through this nasty wading pool. And in that pool was grass and debris and dirt. It was just yucky looking water. But the purpose of that was to clean you up to get to the real pool. We have a lot of people who are playing in the waiting pool. They're acting like the waiting pool is the pool. But do you realize as believers in Christ, there is a pool waiting for us that far outshadows the waiting pool of this world. See, that's what this world is. It's preparation for the kingdom to come. Do you see this world like your destiny? Or do you see the kingdom of God as your destiny and this world as a stepping pool to that? So this event is a picture of what Jesus came to do. The raising of Lazarus from the dead. It's a picture of what Jesus came to do. Just a short while after this event, Jesus would allow himself to die a cruel death. That's right, he allowed himself to die. But because he is the resurrection and the life, death could not hold him. Death had no hold on him. And Jesus rose from the dead. And he validated every word he said about himself and that other people said about him. He validated every word about him. But this event is also a picture of our greatest problem, spiritual death. Man's greatest problem is sin sickness that leads to eternal death. But Jesus says even this sickness will not end in death for anyone who believes in him. This Sickness, sin sickness will not end in death for anyone who believes in him. And just as Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, so will he raise us from the dead because of our faith in Jesus Christ. That's God's word. That's not my word. That's God's word. So Jesus' sacrificial death is proof that he loves us. It's proof that he loves us. And so why would we not glorify him even in the pain and the suffering of our life? We love him. He loves us. So let our pain be used for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the love that you have for us and the love that you showed by sending Christ and the love that went all the way to the cross.
to die for me and for all of those who are gathered here. And indeed, for the whole world. So Lord, I pray for those who are seeking that you would awaken faith in all of us. Lord, wherever we are in our life of faith, take us to another step. And Lord, let it be for your glory. Through Jesus, I pray. Amen. Whether you're interested in following Jesus for the first time or maybe deepening your relationship with Jesus, we would love to hear from you. You can find our contact information on our website at fbcamericas.org. And tune in next week as we continue our journey through John's Gospel.